You guys are awesome. Uh, my name is Steve Wallen. I'm the campus pastor at our Noblesville campus. It's so great to be back with you again. Uh, I also, in my role, I serve as executive pastor, which means that I'm uh, at least partially responsible for leadership in our financial areas, um, administrative areas, HR, and things like that. And as part of that, many of you know that over the last two years, we have been in the middle of a generosity initiative called Greater. We just ended this up. Uh, but our goal for the last two years was to raise $7.5 million through Greater to do three things. We wanted to make disciples, reach our cities, and change the world. A couple big projects that were part of that, we were, we were giving some money away to some special causes. Uh, we were hoping to build a new campus for our Noblesville facility, which uh, is a rental space right now, and then make some improvements here at the Carmel campus. So, well, you've heard us over the last two years talk about money that we've given away to our outreach partners. And, but what you may not know is that our goal was $7.5 million. And on Easter Sunday, we hit $7.5 million after two years. And I think the Lord deserves a big round of applause for that. <clears throat> because who would have thought when we started this two years ago that in the, into the middle of a global pandemic, uh, that the Lord would be doing that in our church? You know, think about that, uh, that we've given away more money than ever over the last two years to our outreach partners and to uh, some ministries that we targeted at the beginning of Greater. We've made a lot of improvements. Like I said here, you guys have been the big beneficiaries of Greater. You've seen the new room in the front of the building. You've seen some paint and some really great refreshing that's been happening here. And uh, we still don't have a new home for our Noblesville campus though. Uh, we, but we do have $3 million put away so that when it happens, uh, we'll be ready to move. Now, we had a building that we were kind of excited about and we thought was going to work for us. And unfortunately, that building is no longer an option. So would you keep praying for our Noblesville campus? If you're the praying type, I would appreciate if you'd put us on your prayer list to be praying because I believe the Lord has the next place in mind for us at Noblesville. He just hasn't shown us yet. And so you probably knew all that. If, you're, uh, if you give to Genesis, if you've given to Genesis this year, we sent out our quarterly giving statements this week. You got a, an email with a link to that. And so we kind of shared some of that news with you, but I wanted you to know because I wanted to say thank you. Thanks for your generosity. Uh, thanks for your prayers. Thanks for come, walking with us over these last two years. And if you don't give on a regular basis to Genesis Church, I wanted to invite you in. Uh, you can do that in a couple ways. Uh, you can go to our website, genesischurch.me slash give. That's our giving site. Or you can text Church Genesis, all one word, to 77977. And then if you're here in the room with us, uh, as opposed to watching online, you can use the giving boxes in the back of the room. Uh, I want to pray right now, right there, and then we'll move on. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I am so thankful for the generosity of your people and that you have done so much in our hearts and in our church over the last two years. Lord, as we look forward to what's next with, uh, after greater is over, I just pray that you would speak to each of us individually. You would show us uh, what you've, you would remind us what you've done in us and show us what you want to continue to do in us. Thank you for what you're doing in our lives through generosity, what you're doing in our community through generosity and in our church. And we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, well, those of you who uh, know me well know I haven't always been a pastor. I'm just getting ready to celebrate 11 years on staff at Genesis Church. But before, yeah, woo! But before that, I, was, I spent over 20 years in corporate America and uh, in one of my very first jobs, I had the opportunity to interview some candidates for a position we were trying to fill. I, I, it was really cool. It was fun. It was one of the, the first times I got to do that. But because I was new and I was young, they would always pair me with a veteran interviewer. And there was one guy in particular that I worked with that I loved him. I, he was a great manager, great boss. But 
I hated interviewing with him because he would always ask the most embarrassing question. And uh, we'd be in the middle of this interview and I feel like we're getting a good feel for who this candidate was and what they'd be able to bring to our department. And then he would ask this question and I just kind of want to hide my head in my hands and slink under the table. You know what I'm talking about? And and here's the question he would ask. He would always do this. We'd be in the middle of it, like I said, asking about work experience, about history, about uh, skills and knowledge. And then he'd say, if you were an animal what kind would you be? <laughs> and I'm like, well, that's not a very good question because it doesn't really tell you anything about how they'd interact with your team or what kind of an employee they would be or how good they would be at the job we were hiring them to do. But he always wanted to know that and he had very specific answers in mind. Because if someone said they wanted to be a dog of any kind, they were not going to be hired because dogs take a love and attention and affection. And apparently he was a great boss. He just wasn't down for that. And so he wasn't going to have a dog. But if somebody said they wanted to be some sort of bird, like a hawk or an eagle, where they could soar over a situation and they could look down and they could see at a glance, like what needed to happen, he was all in on that candidate. It almost didn't matter what their resume said. So that was 25 years ago, probably. And I hadn't really thought much of that until last summer, my wife interviewed uh, for a summer job at Chick-fil-A. And at Chick-fil-A, they have you take take a test to show you what kind of animal personality you have. Maybe you've seen this test before. Uh, Are you a lion, an otter, a golden retriever, or a beaver? Now, before you answer this, let me just give you a little bit of background on these four animals. Lions are naturally decisive leaders. They're competitive. They're self-starters. If you were in a group project with a lion, chances are they did it all themselves and you didn't have to do anything, okay? Uh, Otters are fun-loving. They're people people. They're enthusiastic and they're often the life of the party. Now, if you were in a group project in school with, a, with an otter, chances are they were the ones that was always distracting the group, right? Trying to get not any work done. Uh, golden retrievers are loyal, considerate, good-natured, and they're strong team players. And beavers are organized, detailed, hard workers who keep their head down and just move ahead. Which one are you? Or, or maybe you'd like to think of yourself as some other kind of animal. You, you don't like any of these and you want to compare yourself to some other kind of animal. Well, whoever you are and whatever you do for a living, I'm going to guess that you would never ever consider yourself a sheep. Unfortunately, as we read through Bible, what we see time and time again is the people of God are compared to sheep. Yes, sheep, I know some people think sheep are cute and cuddly and they probably have some good qualities, but they stink, they're stubborn and they just don't seem very smart to me. Um, unfortunately, the passage we're gonna read today that Jesus is going to compare his people to sheep, but he's going to give us some redeeming information, which is that he, Jesus himself is the good shepherd. And so if you have your Bibles, open them to John chapter 10. We're continuing in our series called Grow. Since the beginning of the year, we've been reading through, studying through John together. And our goal is to get to know Jesus better, to understand his life, to understand his teaching better, and to really see how he did ministry. And we're going to continue with Grow up through Memorial Day. Then we're going to take a break for the summer. Uh, And then we'll start up again in the fall when school starts again. So if you haven't been reading with us, there are reading plans available on our website. Go to genesischurch.me slash grow, uh, or you can find them on the Genesis app, or I think there are some copies at the Info Hub available as well. 
And so today we find ourselves in John chapter 10, where Jesus is going to call us all sheep, but I promise it'll make sense when we're done. So if you've got your Bibles open, uh, John 10, 1 is where we're going to start. It says this, very truly, this is Jesus speaking, very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. So we see right away that Jesus is addressing the Pharisees. Now, they're the teachers of the law of the time. Now, in our modern, modern day Bibles, we have people have uh, put chapters and verses in there. And so we've divided this up, but it can make us forget sometimes that these stories are all related and that one comes right after the other because we'll read John chapter nine and then we'll set down our Bible and then we'll pick it up the next day the next week, maybe a lot later, and we'll pick it back up and we forget what just happened. So as a reminder to understand why Jesus is telling this, let's go back to last week when Jerry talked about a man who was uh, born blind that Jesus healed on the Sabbath. Uh, And the Pharisees, the religious scholars of the day are fed up with Jesus because he's not obeying the Sabbath. He keeps healing people. He keeps doing it on the Sabbath. And in doing so, he's winning the crowd to his side and it's making the Pharisees look weak and irrelevant in the eyes of the people. And so the first thing they did was accuse the man who was born blind of being blind because of his own sin, which is weird because he was born that way. And then they accused Jesus of not being from God because he was healing on the Sabbath. He was doing work on the Sabbath. But then Jesus reminded them that they are actually the ones who were blind because their sin was causing them to miss all the things that God was doing among them. And so he decides to tell this story, use this analogy uh, to illustrate his point. He compares the people of God to sheep and himself as the shepherd. And he talks about a sheep pen. And so to understand what's going on here, I think there's one more piece of information we need. And that is the life of a shepherd. Because I'm gonna guess if I asked at random any 20 of you in the room what your occupation is, I'm going to get approximately zero shepherds in the room. But in Israel at this time, the most common uh, occupations would have been farmers, fishermen, and shepherds. And so Jesus's audience would have really understood this analogy right away, but we often don't. So a first century sheep pen would have likely been made of stone with walls on four sides with a small opening for the sheep to come in and out. Could have been square, could have been round. Uh, The one you see here is in a cave, Uh, but the sheep can enter at night. They can exit during the day. They can go back out to the pasture to feed. Uh, The walls are high enough to protect the sheep from predators, but you can see there's this opening where they can come in and out. And so why does Jesus use this picture of sheep and a shepherd? Well, I have to tell you, he didn't invent this on the spot when he was talking to the Pharisees. In fact, if you look through the Old Testament, time and time again, the people of God are compared to sheep. And like it or not, we have some things in common with sheep. First of all, sheep get lost easily. They don't have a great sense of direction. Can anybody relate to that? Uh, They don't have a great sense of direction, but even spiritually, you think uh, they don't have a great sense of direction. They tend to travel in flocks uh, and you and I, we are easily distracted. We are easily distracted. We can stray off course easily if we're not laser focused. In fact, the, uh, the Old Testament prophet Isaiah said it this way, we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned our own way. Uh, Sheep are not only uh, get lost easily, they're also defenseless. If you think about it, sheep don't have fangs or claws. Uh, They don't have wings to fly. They are the single best example of why evolution doesn't always work, right? Um, 
They can't run fast. They can't spike you like a porcupine. They can't skunk you. The only thing that sheep can do in their defense is to say, back off. And that's not very scary. (laughs) Sheep are also stubborn. They only go one way. There's no reverse on those babies. And finally, sheep are filthy. They are dirty. They cannot clean themselves up. And so you can see from all of these things that sheep need a shepherd. And we need a shepherd. In fact, if we can just today, if we can just suspend our overwhelming desire to not be compared to a sheep, I think we may just find that submitting to the shepherd is good for our souls and exactly what we need. So as we read through the passage today, we're going to see three things about Jesus and the relationship he wants to have with us, Jesus as our shepherd. If we look at the first six verses, uh, we're going to see the relationship that Jesus wants to have. And then in the next section, we're going to see that Jesus wants to be our provision, how he wants to provide for his sheep. And then finally, we'll see how the shepherd wants to, has a heart for his sheep. And so let's start in that first section, John 10, 3 is where we'll continue there. It says this, the gatekeeper opens the gate for him, And the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all of his own, he goes on ahead of them and his sheep follow them because they know his, follow him because they know his voice, but they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. So look at the relationship language in this passage here. Uh, It says, he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Now think about this. If there are hundreds of sheep in an area or hundreds of shepherds in an area and each of them has dozens of sheep and they're all grazing on the same hillside, how do you separate your sheep out from the rest of the sheep? Well, a shepherd often would have a specific call or a way that he called his sheep and the sheep would get to know his voice. They would recognize the voice of their shepherd. Or think about these sheepfolds. These sheepfolds weren't often owned by someone. Sometimes they were communal. And so there might be two or three or four flocks uh, overnighting in one of these sheepfolds. Well, in the morning, when it's time to go graze, how does the shepherd separate his sheep from the rest of the sheep? Well, he would use his voice. He would lead them out. And, and what you see in this passage is that the shepherd is always going ahead of the sheep. He leads them out and they follow the shepherd because they know his voice. The shepherd goes first. And if you look at verse three, you see that the shepherd calls his own sheep by name. So it's not just a matter of counting and making sure you've got the right number of sheep, right? He knows he's got the right ones with him. Um, mom's in the room. It's Mother's Day. If your husband or the, uh, your kid's dad decided to give you a great Mother's Day gift and to do that, he was gonna take all of the kids for the day. Maybe that would be really cool. Let's say you have four kids. If, the, if the, your husband brought four kids home with you, but they weren't the right four, is that a win? <laughs> Depends on your kids, right? Maybe, probably not though. I'm gonna guess that most of the good moms in the room would say, no, that's not a win. I want not just four sheep. I want my sheep, right? You know your kids by name, You know what they look like. You know what they like to eat. This is how the shepherd is. He knows what excites his sheep and what scares them. And just as the shepherd knows his own sheep, Jesus is using this to describe the relationship that he has with us. He says, I know my people. I call them by their name. It's a great reminder of the intimate knowledge that Jesus has with us. Uh, Psalm 139 says it this way. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place 
when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. In other words, God knows you inside and out. He knew you even before you were born and he loved you. He knows us in the most intimate and profound ways. I mean, think about this. He knows your past, even those parts that you haven't told anyone about that you're ashamed of. Jesus knows that about you. He knows your present. He knows our desires, the the deepest longings of our heart and what we want to do. He knows what you want to be called and he knows our future. He knows what he has in store for us. But he doesn't just know us. The Bible says that we can know him, that we can have intimate knowledge of Jesus. In fact, verse 14 says, I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Can you believe that it's possible to know God personally? That that the God who, the God of all things, the God who created the universe and the oceans and the Grand Canyon, he created you too. And it's possible to know him, not just to know who he is, but to have a relationship with him where you are uh, in intimate communion with him. Verse four says that the the sheep follow him because they know his voice. That's the kind of relationship he wants to have with us. And do you know why the sheep know the shepherd's voice? It's because they spend so much time with him. They're with him day and night. They never leave his side. They listen and obey his voice. Let's not discount the importance of obedience when it comes to knowing the voice of God in our lives. I mean, so often I will hear from people who say, I just want God to tell me what to do. And in a lot of those cases, it's, they've got a big decision coming up, right? You've got, uh, you've got to decide on a job or a house that you want to buy or you're, 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 you're a spouse, you're going to get married or a college you want to go to. And you're like, I don't want to make this decision. I just wish God would tell me what is best. But the truth is that God speaks to us all the time. He speaks to us through his word. He speaks to us through prayer. He speaks to us through, through wise counsel in our lives. And if we aren't always available to listen to what he has to say. And we aren't always obedient to what he has to say in those little moments in our lives, then we can miss the big moments when God wants to speak to us. You know, you won't ever know his voice because you're not ever obeying his voice. You know, the Bible says that the person who is faithful with little will be faithful with much. So if you want God to speak to you into your big decisions, you need to be obedient and follow him in the small ones as well. So if you want him to help you pick a job, you need to listen to what he has to say about managing your money and about giving. If you want him to help you choose a college, then you should probably listen to his commands about what it means to choose wise friends. If you want want his help in finding a spouse, you need to stop sleeping with your girlfriend or boyfriend and listen to what he has to say about the importance of good, healthy sexual relationships. Obedience in those everyday decisions can help you hear the voice of the shepherd. Now, the Pharisees hear this. They hear all about this idea of having a relationship with the shepherd, but they don't get it. They're, They're not buying in. They don't understand. And so Jesus goes on to talk about his provision for our sheep in this next section, how he provides for his sheep. Look at verse seven. Therefore, Jesus said again, very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before are thieves and robbers. He's talking about the Pharisees right there. All who have come before are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. He says, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come so that they may have life 
and have it to the full. There's so much in this passage to unpack, but the first thing I want you to see is Jesus uses this curious statement. He says, I am the gate for the sheep. But wait, I thought he said in verse three that he was the shepherd. How, how does that work? How can you be the gate for the sheep and also be the shepherd as well. Well, I, I read this story this week by Sir George Adam, George Adam Smith. He's one of the great Old Testament scholars of the late 19th, early 20th century. And he told this story about traveling in the Middle East. It says, he was one day traveling with a guide and he came across a shepherd and his sheep. He fell into conversation with him. The man showed him the fold into which the sheep were led at night. It consisted of four walls with a way in. Sir George said to him, that is where they go at night? Yes, said the shepherd, and when they are in there, they're perfectly safe. But there's no door, said George. I am the door, said the shepherd. He was not a Christian man. He was not speaking in the language of the New Testament. He was speaking from the Arab shepherd's standpoint. Sir George looked at him and said, what do you mean by the door? Said the shepherd, when the light has gone and all the sheep are inside, I lie in the open space. And no sheep ever goes out, but across my body. And no wolf comes in unless he crosses my body. I am the door. And Jesus is basically saying here, he says, I am the living door. I am the gate for the sheep. Basically, he says, I know what is best for my sheep. I know how to protect them. I know when they need to be safe. I know when you need to eat. I know how best to provide for you. No one is coming through that door unless they come through me. And then once the shepherd knows it's safe, that he can get up and the sheep can go out and find nourishment and air and water and provision. We have a good God. We have a good God who loves us and wants us to have good things. In fact, verse 10, Jesus said, I have come so that they may have life and have it to the full. And if you grew up in church, maybe you grew up reading the King James Version. And Jesus says, I have come so that they may have life and have it in abundance. That's the kind of God we have. In fact, the Old Testament portrays the shepherd as leading his sheep into the greenest pastures. Now, maybe you're here today or you're joining us online and you think, you know, he hasn't been that kind of shepherd for me. You know, not with the, not with the job loss, not with the diagnosis, not with the breakup. But I want you to see that having a shepherd doesn't mean that you'll never face problems doesn't mean that you'll never have predators. In fact, there's a, another part in scripture where the, the gospel writer Matthew tells this story about two builders who were both building a house and one of them built his house on a rock on this firm foundation and the other one built his house on the sand. And the, the rains came and the winds blew and the house that was built on the sand was washed away, but the house that was built on the firm foundation stayed. But what I want you to see is that both of those people faced the storm. We're going to have storms in our life. But the question is, when the storm comes, do you want your life to be built on the firm foundation of Jesus? Or do you want it built on the sand of the things of this world? Now, most of us hear that story and we say, of course, I want it built on the firm foundation. But then we build a lot of our identity on our career or our political leanings or on our hobbies and if people searched our social media accounts, they would see things that we get angry about or candidates that we support or definitely do not support. Uh, and we, they might see our accomplishments and our goals and our dreams. And friends, that's all sand. That's all sand. That's a dangerous place to build your house. And in the same way, do we want a politician to be our shepherd? I mean, our knee-jerk reaction is to say, no way, but you wouldn't know that to hang out with us or to talk to us or to hear from us. There's, there's only one gate for the sheep. 
There's only one protector, one provider, and it's Jesus. And it's important to remember that there are thieves out there. You know, that you have an enemy and it's a very real enemy in Satan and his objective is to steal and kill and destroy. And if he can't destroy you, he will distract you knowing that if he can take your eye off the things that are the most important, he can more easily lure you away. And friends, over the last two years, there have been so many things that could distract us away from Jesus, right? I mean, in a, in a global pandemic and an election and economic weird economic time. There are so many things that we can get so focused on and we can lose sight of the fact that what we really need is a shepherd. We need a shepherd. We need a provider and a protector. And by the way, one of the ways that he protects us is to correct us. You know, uh, in Psalm 23, the psalmist David reminds us that even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil for you are with me. And then he says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now, every good shepherd would carry both a rod and a staff. And we've all seen the shepherd with his staff. That's the big stick that's got the hook on the end that they can use to kind of prod the sheep or hook them back in, you know, guide them and gently nudge them. But every shepherd also carried a rod, which would be a, a, a thicker stick, which was usually made out of a thick limb with a knot at the end or a trunk where it would have a big uh, knot of wood on one end so that uh, if the sheep didn't obey the first time, he could forcibly correct the sheep, uh, discipline the sheep. And you may think that doesn't sound like a very good shepherd. Uh, but I want to remind you what the Hebrews writer says about discipline in Hebrews 12, 11. He says, no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. The harvest of righteousness and peace. What a great promise that comes as a result of correction that Jesus, the shepherd, provides for, protects, and corrects his sheep. And so then Jesus goes on in this third section and he's gonna show just his heart that he has for the sheep. And uh, this is the last part we'll look at today. So verse 11 says this. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. Uh, so when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. But I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. Now, I want you to hear the heart that Jesus has for us here, that he is a good shepherd a good shepherd lays down his life for a sheep. And the word that's translated here as good is the Greek word kalos. And it doesn't mean good like morally good, like it doesn't make mistakes. It means good like noble or pure of heart. And it's, in fact, it's often translated in the New Testament as the word beautiful. You could just as easily say that Jesus is the beautiful shepherd. Now, why is that? What is it that makes Jesus the beautiful shepherd? It's the way he relates to us. It's the way he calls us by name. It's the way he desires to have you, for you to have an abundant, joyful life. It's the way that he's numbered the hairs on your head. It's the things that he wants for you, that Jesus wants for you. I want you to know that Jesus, the beautiful shepherd, that he laid down his life for you. It wasn't taken from him. Jesus got to decide to lay down his life. In the garden of Gethsemane, near the end of his life, Jesus did not, was not overcome by the soldiers. He laid down, he surrendered to them. He could have easily called down legions of angels to protect himself. While he hung on the cross, he could have cried for help to get himself down. But instead, Jesus cried up to his father and said, into your hands, I commit my spirit. Then he could have given up on you. And he could have given up on me. 
He, he could have looked down and decided that we were beyond saving. We were too far gone, that we weren't worth it. But God, but God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have eternal life. But God so loved that God gave. You see that pattern? God loved and God gave. And if you look at the end of this passage, you'll see that Jesus compares the way he knows us with the way he knows his father. He says, I know my sheep and my sheep know me just as I know my father and my father knows me. The, the suggestion here is that if we follow him, okay, if we, if we stick close, that we can learn to discern and know his voice and then we can have the same intimate relationship with Jesus that he has with his father. You know, when I was contemplating that move from corporate America to the ministry world, I, I went through this very rich time of prayer and scripture reading and journaling in my life. It was probably the time in my life that I look back on and think that was the richest time with God I've ever had. And I was meeting with the Lord every day. I was reading his word. I was journaling through pages and pages in my journal. It was a really difficult season in my life, but it was one in which I felt like twice in that season, within three months, I heard the audible voice of God talking to me. He told me once in, uh, in January to sell my house, and then he told me a second time to quit my job. And um, I'll tell that story to people when I'm sitting over coffee or whatever, and sometimes people will say, well, how did you know it was God talking to you and not some other voice? And the only way I can explain it is to say, I just knew. Like, I just knew I was meeting with him every day, and I, I was learning to hear from him, and I, I, I was reading his word, and I was praying. And, and just like a mom or dad can pick out the voice of their crying toddler on a crowded playground. Like I could discern the, Lord, the word of the Lord in that time in my life. I never doubted it. You know, the world is full of a lot of voices, voices from our friends, voices from the media, voices of doom and voices of destruction, uh, voices of self-help and self-esteem. There are voices that try to build us up and voices that want to tear us down. But here's the question. Can you discern the voice of the beautiful shepherd? Are you spending enough time that you can hear his voice and know his voice? Because if we do that, if we recognize his voice, we can grow in our relationship with him and he will protect us and correct us and provide for us the sheep of his pasture. Would you pray with me? Father God, I am thankful that you give us this analogy that we can uh, work through and live through um, that even though I don't like being called a sheep, Lord, that I know that I need a shepherd. And if I'm gonna have a shepherd, Lord, I want you, Jesus, I want the good shepherd, the beautiful shepherd to be in my life, to be the one who is uh, providing for me, protecting me, correcting me. Lord, I, I appreciate that you wanna have a relationship with me, with, with us, that, that even though we are flawed, sinful people, you created us, you love us, and you wanna have that relationship with us. Jesus, I'm thankful that you are our provider, that you know what we need and when we need it, you know when we need protection. You know when we need to be set free. And I'm thankful for your heart for us, that you've numbered the hairs on our head, that you love us so much that you want that relationship with us, that you gave up, you laid down your life for us. And Lord, as we come to you in musical worship now, I just pray that our singing would be pleasing to you, that it would be meaningful, that we would be able to reciprocate that love that you have for us through song now. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.